It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day to never sing that song again. I'll tell you that right now. So, I'm not going to sing it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> if you were here the first week of the series, I sang that entire song uh, with my own lyrics. If you're under 25 years old, you have no idea what that song even is or what the, where the set design uh, came from. It comes from a children's 1970s, 80s TV show called Mr. Rogers. Who remembers Mr. Rogers? Oh, yeah, you're all the, yeah, from the best generations right there. Um, so uh, it's from Mr. Rogers, and the theme of his kind of whole show was Won't You Be My Neighbor? And so we're in the series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? So just thought about this. Just I think it was yesterday or the day before, uh, we were watching TV. My wife and I, our daughters were there, and we saw something come up. I was like, oh, that reminds me of VH1 pop-up video. Who, who knows? What yeah, okay. My daughter said, what's pop-up video? So if you don't know, go to YouTube. Uh, if you're new here, uh, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element Church. I don't always walk through the front door of a set design, I promise, uh, but we're thrilled that you're with us today. If you're watching on video, I want to say hello to you as well. Uh, you've been doing a great job on Facebook Live and the Live Church platform using that share button there. So we do that again, spreading the word literally all around the globe of what God's doing here. Before we continue in our sermon series, I do want to talk about Easter for a moment. So on your way in, and you should, it should be on your chair some information and invite cards for Easter Sunday coming up, two weeks on April 16th. And on that Sunday, yes, we'll celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, uh, but I'll also be asking this question, is it okay to doubt in my sermon? Is it okay to doubt? We're going to look at three people in the story of Jesus who doubted that he was the Son of God, but in their doubts, it led to their greatest discoveries about Jesus as well. So if you've ever doubted or you know somebody who struggles with that, be a great time to come to church that week, invite somebody to come to come with you. Uh, also, we're adding a 1 p.m. service. And so we'll have our 9-11 and 6 p.m., but we're adding that 1 p.m. And so if you call Element Church home and could attend either the 1 p.m. or 6 p.m., it's a huge help because most of our guests on Easter will come to those morning services. Speaking of the 6 p.m. service, uh, next Sunday night, uh, we are once again having a free barbecue before the 6 p.m. service. So if you come to church at 6 p.m. next Sunday night on April 9th, at 5 o'clock, we'll feed your whole family, have a free barbecue and a great time. I think we've got some, an inflatable game even to put up for the kids uh, as well. So that's next Sunday night. Well, you may have guessed by the video we just showed uh, before I walked through the front door here that today we're talking about prayer. And you all are not as Christian as the first service because you laughed way more. So I'm glad, though, because I laughed as to that video as well. It's hilarious. Um, talking about prayer today. But not just prayer in general or praying for our meals like we saw on the video, but using prayer to be a good neighbor, using prayer to evangelize. And this whole series is born out of what Jesus called the greatest commandment, kind of boils Christianity down into one idea of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. In Mark 12, 29 through 31, so Matthew then Mark is the second book in the New Testament portion of the Bible. Mark 12, 29 through 31 says this. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And I think for most of us Christians here in the room, like we're all in with that idea, right? Like our desire, our goal is to love God with everything we are and to love our neighbors and as ourselves. And listen, if that's not you today, 
Like if you're here today and you, you, you are not a follower of Jesus, you've not put your faith in him yet, it is so awesome that you are here. We love it that you're here. And I want you to know that ultimately, I'll just be up front, yes, we would love for you to put your faith in Jesus, to follow him with your life, but whether you ever do that or not doesn't affect the way we feel about you. Like your agreement with us on faith does not determine our love for you. You are loved here just the same, whether you ever, ever agree with us or not. In fact, while you may not ever agree with us, we're going to do our best as followers of Jesus to live in such a way, to act in such a way, and to talk in such a way that perhaps our lives, our faith, would be appealing to someone who does not believe in Jesus. That perhaps our life would give us the opportunity to use our words to tell people about Jesus. But for the Christians in the room, my question is this, do we ever pray for God to open up opportunities for us to use our words to tell other people about Jesus? Do we pray for people in our lives who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus? Are we a good neighbor with our prayers? And my answer is I hope so. Like I hope that's, that's how we are in our prayer lives, but the statistics on prayer are alarming at best, alarming at best. Not just prayer in general, but among people who pray, what are we praying for? So LifeWay Research did a study among Americans who pray. So not among all Americans, but just among Americans who say they pray on a regular basis, they found out what we're praying for. At the top of the list is no surprise. I have no problem with what's at the top of the list. So 82% of people who pray pray for their family and friends. That's awesome. I think we should. 74% pray for difficulties in their own life. I get it because I do that too. 38% pray for people affected by natural disasters around the world. We should be doing that. 36% pray for their own future financial prosperity. And I really would have no problem with that prayer until I got to the next one. So do you know how many people pray for those who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus? 20% of people who pray. Pray for people who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. That means there are 16% more people praying for their own future financial prosperity than are praying for people who will live a Christless eternity to know him someday. There's more people paying for their finances than for people to know Jesus. And if that's not bad enough, it gets worse, by the way. It gets worse. So here's some other ones I found that were just, I couldn't believe it. 5% of people who pray have prayed for God to bless something in their life they know wouldn't please him. Success in doing something they know would not please God. God, would you please give me success, even though I know you don't agree with it. 7% of people have prayed for a good parking spot. Like some of us are guilty in the room right now. 13% of people who pray have prayed for their team to win a game. Right? So I guess the Patriots fans prayed harder than the Falcons fans. Come on now, right? Is that too soon? I don't know. I'll tell you this. I'm starting a prayer campaign today. You can join me if you want. I am praying that the New England Patriots will never win another Super Bowl in the history of Super Bowls. I'm preaching right now, man. By the way, today's also opening day of baseball. 
So, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a Cardinals fan, so I'm also adding the Cubs to that prayer that they never win another championship again. By the way, the best part about opening day of baseball is the sign that football's five months away. That's the best thing about opening day of baseball. So here's, here's one more, one more. 21% of people who pray have prayed to win the lottery. That means more people have prayed to win the lottery than are praying for someone to know Jesus. And we wonder why we're not good at sharing our faith. Not even praying for people to know Jesus. All through the Bible, we see it starting in Genesis with Abraham to Jesus and his apostles. There are men and women that were praying for God to move in the lives of those who do not yet know him. It's called intercession. Intercession means praying for someone who cannot, will not, or does not know they need to pray for themselves. Intercessory prayer. And I believe intercession is one of the primary functions of God's people in partnering with him to reach those who do not yet know him. I believe, church, it is intercession that what takes our attitudes, our actions, and our words, and it laces them with the power of the Holy Spirit to draw people unto him. It's intercession that does that. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 puts it this way. I urge you, first of all, to pray for who? All people. Ask God to help them, here's that word, intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. I don't have time to say what I want to say, but I think you know what I want to say. So that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. And here's why we should do this. It's good and pleases God our Savior who wants, let's say it together, everyone to be saved, and to understand the truth. And when I, when I use the word saved, because I, I think there, there is nothing more in tune with God's will than praying for people to be saved. And when I say saved, I'm talking about the need for all of us to be forgiven of our sin because all of us have sinned. That sin separates us from God, but God loved us so much, he sent Jesus to die in our place so if we put our faith in him, our sins can be forgiven, our hearts are made clean, our lives are set free, and we're given a place with Jesus for eternity. That's what I mean when I say saved. We should be praying for for people to be saved. But prayer is not the only answer. Like prayer does not save us, right? So, so here's the big idea for today. It's on the screens if you want to write it down. It's this. Prayer alone will not save people, but it sets the stage for people to be saved. Now, prayer alone won't save us, but it sets the stage for people to be saved. So if it sets the stage, here's the big question I think we have to ask. How does prayer set the stage for salvation. How does prayer set the stage for salvation? Main scripture is Acts 4, 23 through 31. As you've already seen, the scriptures are all on the screen, so if you want to follow along there, you can. If you've got your own Bible or device, you can do that. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Ask for one at guest services before you take off today. We'll give you one for free. Jumping right in here, Acts 4. The fifth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, Acts 4, 23, says this. As soon as they were freed... 
Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and the elders had said. So a little background here so you know what's going on. In chapters 3, the first part of chapter 4, Peter and John, two of the 12 apostles of Jesus, they were arrested for telling people about Jesus. More specifically, these leading priests were furious that they were teaching people Jesus is alive and eternal life is found in him alone. So they arrested them, put them in jail, commanded them never to speak or teach in the name of Jesus again. Peter and John stayed the night in jail. They basically told these leaders, like, we can't stop talking about Jesus. So do what you want, but we're not going to stop talking. So the next day, they threatened them again, let them go. They went straight back to the other Christians there, these early believers, told them what they had been told, like, hey, gang, if we don't stop talking about Jesus, we're going back to prison, all of us, or even worse, we might be put to death. And look what happened when they told him that report. Verse 24 through 27. When they heard the reports, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. And I want you to think for a moment, me included, about what you would pray for if you were given the same report. Like if I showed up today and said, hey, church, um, the police informed us that we can no longer talk about Jesus. If we do, we're going to jail or perhaps we'll die. If I said that, more than likely, we would would think these people like us would, would lift up their voices and pray for protection or to be seen with favor or for new leaders or new laws or new government or whatever, but they didn't. Look what they pray. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord, against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, they were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. O sovereign Lord, they prayed. They did not pray that they'd be seen with favor or have protection. They didn't even ask God to take away their persecution. In their prayer, they were reminding themselves that God is in control, that he alone is sovereign, that that all of these things were determined beforehand according to God's will, and even perhaps God could take our persecution and turn it into a proclamation of who he is and what he's done. That prayer alone won't save people but it sets the stage for people to be saved. So how does it do that? Well, number one is this. We saw it right there in the prayer. It reminds me of God's sovereignty. That when I pray, I'm reminded of the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty is a big word that we don't have time to break down here. Break it down. Not going to do that. So sovereignty, that was a scratch table, by the way. Sovereignty. Sovereignty means supreme power and authority. When it comes to God, it simply means that God is in what? Control. God's in control. And listen, don't mistake that for what it's not. God in control does not mean that God causes everything to happen. 
what that means is God can make everything that happens work out according to his cause. That's what God is in control means. It's exactly what these believers here were saying. They were saying, oh God, what, what just happened with Jesus, what happened with Peter and John, and what is happening with us, these threats against us, they were all determined beforehand according to your will, oh God. I mean, if you look at how God the Father placed Jesus the Son in the perfect place at the perfect time in history to die for the sins of the world, it is unbelievable. The theological term is called the fullness of time. Romans 5, 6 says, at just the right time, Christ died for us sinners. The fullness of time, the perfect time. Here's what that means, that God sent Jesus during a time in history when the hunger among Jewish people for the Messiah was at an all-time high. Never been higher at that time. Rome ruled most of the known world. And so because Rome ruled the world, there was a common language among all people, and the roads and regions were free to travel on from place to place. So that when Jesus rose from the dead, the news about his message could spread rapidly and freely across the entire country. On top of that, it was at this very time in history that God sent Jesus at a point where there were four men, Judas, Herod, Pontius Pilate, and the high priest Caiaphas, they would all work together in their own free will to lead Jesus to the cross where he would die for the sins of mankind. You look at how God placed Jesus in the perfect time in history, and you're telling me God can't place us at the perfect place and the perfect time in history to point people to Jesus? You're telling me that God can't take our problems or even our persecution and turn it into a proclamation of who he is and what he's done. That's what these early believers were praying. That's what they were praying. Oh, sovereign God, you place Jesus in a specific place at a specific time for a specific reason. So right now, God, would you also place us, place me in a specific place, at a specific time, for a specific reason. Would you do that, God? Because maybe, maybe there is someone out there praying for their son or daughter, praying for their father or mother, praying for their friend or their loved one to be simply neighbors with or coworkers with or in a classroom with someone who knows Jesus that might point them to him. That maybe, God, I'm an answer to someone else's prayer because you put me right by them today. You saying God can't do that? Or maybe... Maybe there's someone in your life that you love, but they don't know Jesus. You're telling me that God's not willing or able to put some of his followers on their path? So, oh, sovereign Lord, would you please put people around this person that I love would you please place by them Christian neighbors and Christian coworkers and Christian coaches and Christian teachers and Christian friends so that maybe, God, they would see you? Can you do that, God? 
And I'm not asking you to love your job. I'm not. I'm not asking you to love where you live. I'm not. I'm definitely not asking you to love the problems that God's allowing you to face in your life. But friends, when we start to remember the sovereignty of God, our dislike for where we are can turn into a love for who we've been put around because maybe I'm an answer to someone else's prayer. Prayers can't save people, but they set the stage for people to be saved. We gotta remember God's sovereignty, that God, you, you can put me at the exact place, at the exact time that you need me to point that person to Jesus. Then look what they prayed next, verse 29. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. This, by the way, wasn't the pastors praying this, it was the people praying, give us boldness to preach your word. Some of y'all already freaked out, so let me explain. Number two way prayer sets the stage for salvation is this. It gives me strength to speak. Gives me strength to speak and you strength to speak. Give us boldness in preaching your word. And I'm telling you, some of y'all are already sweating, like you're pitting out already and you're thinking, I don't, I don't know how to preach. I don't want to preach. I'm not... Don't get thrown off by the word preach, okay? In our English language, that's the word that's translated. In the original Greek language, it literally means chatter or conversation. So God, would you give us boldness in our conversations to perhaps point people to Jesus? The word boldness means freedom or openness. So Lord, would you just open doors? Give me an openness to share about my faith in you, what you've done for me. It's not using big theological words. It's not understanding everything in the Bible. It's not standing here doing what I'm doing now with the pulpit and preaching to a congregation. It's definitely not standing on a street corner and yelling through a bullhorn that everybody's going to hell. It's simply saying, God, may, I, may you just be a part of my everyday life. May, 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 may Jesus, may his word, may my life in you just become a part of my conversation. Help me be free in having conversations about you. Not in a pushy way, not in an obnoxious way, not in a forceful way, not even in a way that's outside of your own personality. I think sometimes, like I've shared with you, I'm, I'm an introvert at heart, so up here I can be extroverted off the platform. I, w- I wouldn't even learn any of your names if I didn't have to. It's just, I'm, I'm introverted, like that's how I am. And some of you are introverted, and you're hearing me talk about talking about Jesus, and you are literally terrified right now. And I'm telling you, do you not think that God understands how he wired you, and he won't bring you to places where you can talk to somebody else who's wired just like you? Introverts unite, Right? <laughs> except we'll do it all alone in the privacy of our home. We'll not be together. <laughs> God can't use your personality? Like, is he sovereign or not? So, oh, sovereign Lord, would you use me to be free in my conversation about you? These, these believers were under the threat of jail, even death, and they did not pray for a covering of protection. They prayed for boldness to speak about the Lord. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 puts it this way. 
Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your, what it is, conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response to everyone. Prayer alone won't save people. Sets the stage for people to be saved. How does it do that? Okay, it reminds me of God's sovereignty. Lord, you can put me at the exact time you need me. It gives me strength to speak. Okay, there's an opportunity. And now I'm just going to share about my, my faith. And then look at, look at this last prayer. Acts 4.30. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The third thing prayer does to set the stage for salvation is this. It helps me see beyond myself. Helps me see beyond myself. You see, these these believers, this is so huge. They weren't asking God to heal them or perform signs for them. They weren't even asking God to do it for their family and friends. They were asking God to confirm who he was to those who didn't yet believe. They they were asking God to reveal himself to the very people that were persecuting them by performing signs and wonders on their behalf. And listen, I'm all for praying for miracles in the lives of those we love. There are people in this very church today. In fact, we had one walk in to this service that's a walking miracle because God's people prayed for him. I'm telling you, yet at the same time, before this service, we received a text message from someone in our church we love, and they are facing a tragic of all tragic situations, and we are pleading with God to heal them. It's okay, you can do that. I'm all for that. We should do that. But that's not what this is about. That's not what they were doing. Like, we should pray for healing. We should pray for miracles. But it needs to move beyond just that for us. You see, when I truly begin to pray for salvation, it moves me beyond praying for for provision in my own life. And I start to pray that God would do things to prove himself in the lives of those who don't know him. That God, there are people in my life who don't know you yet. There's people around this world who have not given their life to you. So God, for those people, would you stretch out your hand with healing power? Would you do miraculous signs and wonders in the name of your holy servant, Jesus? God, would you prove yourself to them? God, would you make yourself known to them? God's ears, church, are open to that kind of prayer. So look what God does. This blows me away. So they prayed this prayer that had nothing to do about themselves and everything to do about those who don't know Jesus. And Acts 4.31 says this, after this, the meeting place shook. Could you imagine that if we just united in prayer and all of a sudden the walls start shaking and God's presence fills this place and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and then what they do, they preached the word of God with boldness. God answered their prayer 
Like you keep on reading the story. In Acts 5 verse 12, it says the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders that, that more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. It even says crowds of people from the surrounding villages came to Jerusalem to try to figure out what's going on with these crazy Christian people. That God was so evident that it just drew people in. Church, where are those prayers today? Where are they? That's what we're called to do. Oh, sovereign Lord, you can put me exactly where you want me. And oh, sovereign Lord, would you give me the freedom to speak when you call me to speak? And oh, sovereign Lord, would you just do miracles and wonders and signs, not for me or even those I love, but there's people who don't know you. God, would you do it for them? Would you do it for them? So where do we go from here? Like, how do you take this giant idea of prayer and bring it all the way down into our everyday lives. Because I know right now, like I just terrified some of you for about 35 minutes. <laughs> You're thinking, holy crap, this guy's weird. I get it. I am weird. So how, but how do we make it practical? There's a number of ways you can. Here, I'm going to challenge you with some, okay? I think you can add all of these to your life and it would only take up about 10 minutes of your life every day. So there's an app out there, I've told you about this before, it's called the Unreached of the Day. It's by the Joshua Project, it's free. You can download Unreached of the Day. Every day you will get a people group from around the world who has yet to be reached with the gospel of Jesus. And it gives you ways to pray for them. This is, this is beyond ironic, I think it's part of God's sovereignty. Look what today's people group is the South Asian Bengali speaking people and look what it says to pray for them. This, this is like, you, you couldn't even plan this with this message. Pray for the followers of Jesus among the Bengalis in the USA. They are few in number. Pray the Lord will give them hearts to search for Christians in the communities where they live. May they be led to true followers of Christ to help them grow. Come on, is that not what we just talked about? That God, you're sovereign, place these Bengali people by other people they can reach. They can, they can grow in their faith. So there's, there's one app you can do. There's another app called VOM Today by Voice of the Martyrs. It gives you an area of the world that's persecuting Christians. So today we are asked to pray for the people of Tunisia. There's a picture of a Tunisian Christian. I can't show it to you on here because you can't see it. But it's a picture of a, of a Christian being baptized. The caption says, this new convert in Tunisia was brave enough to allow his baptism to be photographed despite the risk of persecution. And yet we have some Christians who don't want to be baptized because their hair will get wet. That's meant to sting. Then you have prayforwyoming.com. This one's close to my heart. <laughs> Every day on the 1st through 23rd of every month, corresponding with the county seat. So for there's 23 counties in Wyoming. So today is the 2nd of April. So today we're praying for Laramie County, our own county right here that Cheyenne is in, that God would reach people with the gospel of Jesus. If you go to prayforwyoming.com, there's a prayer for you to pray every day. It takes you maybe three minutes to read through the prayer. It's already written for you. Different theme every single day. 
And the reason this is so important, church, is according to the latest census data, out of the 563,000 people in Wyoming, 340,000 of us claim none as our religion, N-O-N-E, none. No faith preference at all. If you include people who are in religions that have nothing to do with Jesus, there are 405,000 people in our backyards that don't know Jesus. And you're telling me we can't take five minutes to pray that God would use us to reach them? Come on. I've been so challenged by this word. May we be a people of prayer. Not may I be a pastor of prayer. May we be a people of prayer. Can I get an amen from somewhere in the room today? Then we have Frontline's prayer group. It's a prayer group I lead every first Tuesday of every month. We're moving it from Monday to Tuesday. Um, so at first Tuesday of every month, 7 p.m., we meet right here in the auditorium. You don't even have to pray out loud if you come. There's guys that come that have never once spoken a prayer out loud. We just, there's eight to ten of us. And you're not a better Christian or a worse Christian if you come or don't come. But we just set aside one hour, seven to eight, to pray that God would move in us. So that's, that's some ways you can make this practical, right? Let's get even more personal, okay? On your way out today, you're going to get what I'm calling a neighbor card. Neighbor card. I'm going to see if we can zoom in on this. Where are we coming at from? Over here? There we go. So it looks like a tic-tac-toe board, okay? I know not every neighborhood is exactly the same. But for most of us, you, you, if this is your home in the center, you got people who live behind you, people who live in front of you, people who live beside you, right? I mean, we all have neighbors. Some, somehow we have neighbors. So you can, you can zoom back out. Here's what I'm asking us to do. You're going to get this card. I've been doing this in my own life for months now. I was challenged by another church that did this for their church, okay? But I want you to take this home. I want to write your name in the center square, your family's name. And then if you don't know the names of at least eight neighbors, if you live, you know, maybe in a rural area, you got to go find them. That's weird. But find out the names. If you don't know them, at the very least, should we not know the names of our neighbors? I'm not asking you to be weird. I'm not asking you to bake them a loaf of bread. You can do that if you want to. I'm just asking you, would you write your name in there and then start writing your neighbor's names? And I have this at our house. Then put it on the fridge and then start praying. God, you put our family in this home to be around these people. So, oh, sovereign Lord, we pray for them. Maybe you already know their faith condition. Maybe they're believers, and you're going to pray for them to be lights in the world. Maybe they're not, and you're going to pray for an opportunity to share your faith. And I'm telling you, you start praying that, church. You start praying it, God will open the door. God will open the door. So I want you to do that. And lastly, I want you to take this invite card. And I want you to pray God, between now and Easter, would you show me one person I can invite to Easter? One person I can invite to Easter. And if you pray that, God will give you the opportunity. Some of you know already, there's a name in your head. Now you've got to be faithful to do it. And you don't, you don't got to be weird. You don't got to make up anything. You don't give them a Bible verse. Hey, I'm going to church at Easter on my Sunday. If you'd like to go, here's, here's an invite card. I'll be there. Like, text me if you want to meet out front. Whatever. I'll, I'll take you to lunch afterwards. Like, bribe them to come to Jesus. I don't care. Just invite them. It's all good. Invite them to church on Easter Sunday. Oh, sovereign Lord.
you put Jesus at the exact time in history you needed him, you can put me at the exact time in history you need me. So would you give me freedom to speak about Jesus? And would you move in such a way in the lives of those who don't believe that there's no other explanation but you? Move, God, in our lives. I love you guys. Thanks for letting me share that with you today. Let me pray for you. Then remain seated. Got two quick things to share with you before you go. God, I'm, I want to be a person that prays this way. <laughs> and sometimes I get co- so caught up in what I want and what I need that I forget, Lord, you, you're, you've placed me right here for a reason. So, Lord, put me where you want me. Give me freedom to speak. And would you do wonders on behalf of those who don't know you? We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.